Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the Centennial Podcast. And we're back here again today with the original crew of myself, other Matt, Bennett, and Alan. And we're going to start off by talking about the Sens Foundation and their split from the Ottawa Senators that happened this past week. Uh, so I'm sure, as everyone's seen uh, going on Twitter or social media, um, the Sens Foundation cut ties with um, the Senators, which is quite surprising. I mean, they've been with... Uh, the organization for or since 1998 is when they were founded so quite a long time with the team and um, them splitting from the organization has generated a lot of controversy so I kind of wanted to know where you guys weighed in on that I mean <sighs> everything <laughs> where was to going begin? So, uh, it, was, it was going so well you know we didn't have any any weird things going on and then then this um and timing wise, it was definitely weird too, uh, because a lot of uh, Ottawa um, uh, journalists were saying, like, is it, you know, at least a little weird that the foundation is the only person that, or the only part of Ottawa that has put out um, uh, something regarding the current uh, social climate with uh, Black Lives Matter and so on. Um, and then on top of that, it comes out that Eugene Melnick wants more control of where the money is going. Uh, specifically, uh, he wants more money going to his, uh, the foundation or like his sort of foundation with, that has to do with his liver. And yeah, so <sighs> I, don't, I don't know, man. It's like, <laughs> It does. <laughs> it, I don't know. The timing, again, it, it seems kind of peculiar. Um, the, the one thing that I do have to give the organization for, uh, and, and I don't obviously ever really take the side of, of Melnick in any of his decisions because they're usually all awful, but it, it was interesting that they told the foundation in quotations months ago that they wanted to have like a, an open and transparent uh, proposal process once the foundation's licensing agreement expired, um, but that the foundation didn't want to have that process happen, which I thought was interesting. Um, and basically because they declined that, the senators essentially were like, okay, well, then I guess if you don't want to be a part of this proposal process, then we'll find somebody else, which I think is understandable. I don't think it's an unreasonable request, um, especially because back in 2018, the foundation, the Sens Foundation, uh, went under uh, analysis um, by like a charity intelligence company that found that only forty six cents of every dollar was actually going to uh, the the actual recipients of the organ or of the Senators Foundation. So, I mean, that's a lot of money that's not going to the people that the foundation um, says that they're supporting. So, I think that that could definitely have something to do with it. Um, so it kind it kind of looks bad on both parties. Um, but I think it does make sense from the sense perspective to want to find a foundation or create a new foundation where more of the money is actually going to recipients. So that's my take on it. Yeah, I think it's, if anything is clear, it's that nothing is, uh, I mean, the, which is the see, Ottawa way. Yeah, absolutely. 
like seeing the chatter online, it's really hard to piece together a coherent story in all of this. Uh, so I don't know if I have a strong opinion one way or the other. If we look at the tweets that uh, Ian Mendez put out on the day that all of this came out, uh, he's he was sort of walking the line of, do we think that this has anything to do with the current, like a philosophical difference between the organization, uh, sorry, between the foundation and the team about things like Black Lives Matter and the social movements that are happening in the news right now. And he said no, but also to not think that this is just normal business, business as usual, like two like organizations deciding to kind of amicably go their separate ways. Like there is something definitely going on here. We just don't necessarily know all the details. But <laughs> yeah, I th- something yeah. is afoot. Yes, something. <laughs> yeah, something it is, is fishy, <laughs> and we don't and we don't know what it is. But I think I probably lean more towards that. Yeah, like the team, and by the team we mean Melnick, wanted to have more control over how the funds are allocated. And I think in the team's statement that they put out, they did specifically mention a couple areas that they wanted to get involved in philanthropically okay let me let, let me put it this way the team has indicated that they wanted to take their philanthropy in a few other directions yes, and yeah. they mentioned two things i think one of them was domestic violence and one of them was like the organ like organ like uh like, like transplants and all that yes yeah yeah Something like uh, encouraging people to be organ donors and stuff yeah and okay yeah like I honestly I don't hate that. Like yeah, no, I think no. that I there's either. so many charities, not just in Ottawa, around the world, and they all do good work and like there's a lot of overlap. And I don't think that like people are going to suffer if the SENS come up with their own charity organization which focuses on other things and the what was formerly the SENS Foundation rebrands itself and continues to do their work. I mean, I don't think it's really the end of the world. Well, yeah, because they were a foundation before they signed the SENS contract, and they're going to be one after. They're just yeah. now they're going to look for a new foundation, and it'll be called whatever before, and now it'll be under the brand of the senators, right? So, yeah. And the thing with the organ donation thing is that they didn't, um, that wasn't one of the foundations that they gave to because his charity thing is based out of Toronto, and their whole thing was doing things in the Ottawa area. So he wants to expand giving more. It only made sense, but I guess he wants to change that. But Yeah, man. I'm pretty sure Melnick does more interviews with Toronto Radio than he ever does with Auto Radio. Dude, when, when was oh, the last 100%. time he ever did? I don't know. Uh, yeah. like, But it was like uh, maybe two or three weeks ago on the Toronto one. Because yeah. they used the audio clips on 1200. Yeah. I mean, through all the crap the organization gets, I do respect the fact that Dorian still goes on Ottawa Radio when a lot of fans are really disgruntled. So, got to give him kudos, kudos for that, at the least. Yeah, I like him. I'm not complaining. <laughs> no, he's yeah. not the problem, so. No, no, for sure. Um, well, with that, uh, we'll get into the talking points, but first just wanted to get all of our listeners uh let them know that yes we are on spotify on itunes and on google play we're also on reddit on instagram facebook twitter so if you want to keep up with uh anything that we're talking about then follow us on those platforms and uh yeah we like to get engagement from our listeners so feel free to tweet at us send us a dm 
uh, and whatever, and we'll get back to you uh, quick. And yeah, so yeah. with that, we'll move into um, the talking points for this week. And uh, me and Alan kind of have a combined talking point. So we're going to go into who we think are the best, most promising prospects in the organization. Uh, and we're going to talk about which five we think will be on the NHL roster next season. And obviously there's a couple obvious ones, but hey, I think all of us may have some differences in past the top two. So could be a bit interesting. So, um, I mean, I think we're all in agreement that Drake Batherson well, okay, maybe we're not all agreement, but to me, I think Drake Batherson is definitely our most promising prospect right now. <laughs> I have him as my third guy to be 100% on the team. I, Damn, I, interesting. I'll just chuck this out. I made my list. Um, I put Norris uh, as my fifth guy. Um, my number one guy to be on the team next year I put is Nick Paul. I, I know he spent a lot of time on the Sens last year, but I still feel he is – He's a in-between guy, but I think this is going to be his first full from start to finish with the Sens. I think Brandstrom's going to come up and stay most of the year. Uh, I got Batherson and Willannon. Obviously, he was hurt, so he spent the majority of his time when he came back in Belleville. But I guess you could still consider Nick Paul a prospect because he's only 24. But I think he's going to be on the Ross. Like I think out of all of the... I. I mean, he is on the team, right, already? So, like, I don't really think uh, DJ Smith is considering him one of the guys that's going to make that that jump. But he could still go down, no? Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, he is on a one-way. Yeah, I mean, they could still put him through waivers. He's gone through waivers mm-hmm. before without being claimed. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, obviously now is a bit different. But, I, I, I mean, he's still, like, a, I think a maybe good third-line player. I don't really see him moving past that. Although, I mean, looking at his stats, all of his points except one were even strength last year, which I think is quite impressive, actually. Yeah, he barely got any, uh, you know, special teams time. So I like it. He also, he took away the puck more than he gave it away, which is great. I mean, that's a good problem to have. (laughs) Especially on a a defensive team like the 2019-2020 Senators. Yeah. like barring Willannon, because he he's going to be there to me anyways. Uh, Hogberg is another guy that's going to be there next year. Um, I see Nick Paul being a full time NHLer next year, um, and I guess it's also assuming that Jace Harlock is going to be re-signing, um, because I I genuinely really like his game and think he can bring a lot to the team in the bottom six role. Uh, because he produced and was like always on each night, but the the player I think that can probably make the jump the easiest and is most ready is probably Rudy Balsers. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. <laughs> I honestly thought he was going to be on the roster this season, so to see him go in Belleville for the whole year, uh, I mean, he made obviously a, a stint in the NHL um, this season, but I I was kind of shocked. I thought he would be. Uh, like, cause he put up, I think, uh, like it was like 14 points in 36 games, um, yeah. last season. Uh, so I thought he would probably be a lock cause I mean, that's not yeah. amazing, but it's decent for a guy who is like 21 hitting the NHL. Yeah. Rudy Balsers, uh, he played 33 games, 16 goals, 20 assists. So 36 points. You're correct. Oh, I was talking about in the NHL, but yeah, in the HL, he, he was 30, like over a point. He had 36 points. 
Yeah, dude, he was games. Yeah, he was over point per game. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, he, he tore it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a good dude, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, um, I definitely could see him being on the roster. I mean, I personally think Drake Batherson because I, I think he's just way too good for the AHL. Uh, when you when he plays, like you just watch him. And what you're are like, you doing? This, this guy is too good for this league. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I like he, he he got called up to the NHL and he looked rough at first, not gonna lie. But then when he he went down, uh, did a sit in the AHL and came back, he looked quite good yeah. and he was putting points. He was up on another the board. guy who was over and a point a game. Hear me just out. to go back to the Balsers point, he was injured at the start of the season, so that's why he wasn't on. Uh, yeah, so it that's was kind fair. Of like a yeah, that's fair. situation. I think they were expecting him to uh, to make the team. Yeah, that's fair. And then I guess uh, they probably just kept him in Bell for, Belleville for conditioning, and then just realized it was probably the best place to keep him for the season. Um, so I, I can understand that. It's just I would have liked to have seen him be full time in the NHL, but I understand why he wasn't. Uh, but yeah, like. Going back to Drake Batherson, I think like when you look at his totals in the AHL, he's played two seasons, 103 games. He has 116 points. Like this guy is is definitely too good for the AHL. Um, and in the two s- short stints he's played in the NHL, he has 19 points in 43 games played, which I think is pretty solid. Um, and I was reading a bunch of prospect profiles. And a couple of them, now this is just comparison players, but a couple of them did say they likened Drake Batherson's play style to Logan Couture. I can live with that. So. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, 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 that not, was not, solid. A, not a bad player. Now, obviously, yeah, yeah. that would be at I think like it's the high like, end. because I think that's like, like, I think Couture is uh, like a, a really good uh, comparable, just considering that uh, I mean, I don't know Couture's like top end total that he's ever scored, but I mean, Drake Batherson, if he fi- like finds that ever elusive ceiling, is going to be like a seventy to an eighty point guy. And all things considered, that's pretty, pretty damn amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, in Logan Couture's height of his point totals, it looks like. He had about 65 to 67 points. Oh, he had 70 points last season. Damn. So it seems like he's about a 70-point player. So I could I could see Batherson living up to that. I mean, you look at how he shoots the puck. I mean, even as a playmaker, like he can he can do both. And I think that's incredible that the Senators got him in the fourth round and he's being compared to a guy who's taken ninth yeah, overall. Exactly. <laughs> so um I really like, like, I mean, you're probably going to have to see uh, decisions made on guys like uh, Philip Schlappick, um, you know, Jonathan Davidson. And I mean, this season, probably Logan Brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, with Davidson, I honestly think that he might just be an AHLer mm, at this agreed. point. And I don't want to harp on the guy. I think when he got that concussion, it set back his progress. And I know when the Senators first acquired him, everyone was like, okay, well, he almost made the Blue Jackets this past season. He was like their last cut from training camp. Uh, But I think that 
really when you look at his stats in the HL this year, he didn't stand out, and I didn't hear the most positive reviews about him. Um, I heard that at times he was invisible. Uh, so I feel like the Senators may just kind of quietly let him <laughs> wade his way um, in the AHL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He did only get 18 games in, though. Oh, yeah, for Which sure. Seems because a lot he's recovering than I was from expecting, concussion. to be honest. <laughs> five, point, five points in 18 games. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't great. I mean, he is only 22, so he's got some time. Uh, he could, you know, be like Nick Paul, where he needs to be seasoned in the HL for a few years uh, before really making an impact in the NHL. I, I won't get my hopes up. Yeah. But, uh, uh, for the record, Jonathan Davidson yeah. had two more points than goaltender Joey Decord who had three assists. Damn. Well, you know, Decord is an up-and-coming playmaker, so yeah, you never know. Dude, he's got nasty hands. Like, he's a really good puck handler. No, I, I have yeah. heard that he's a good uh, puck handler. Wow. Yeah, what a change sure. that would be from our uh, butterfingered boy, uh, Craig Anderson. <laughs> hey, who, hey. Don't, don't put hate on my who, boy's name. All respect and all love to our boy Craig, but my God, yeah, we have discussed this on oh, this podcast before. That's and that's his fair. That Boston series, oh God, <laughs> just like, yeah. <laughs> all I can think of is that play where Broussard like just totally didn't back check hard enough, and Carlson reamed him out yeah. after that terrible Boston goal. Yeah, and then everybody yeah, there was like talk was... about how Broussard didn't like that, and it's like, all right, well maybe back check next time. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah well i think i think in hindsight they ended up doing like a video yeah where brassard and carlson both like were laughing about the situation because at the end of the day you know they won the game they won that series i think they can look back on it and laugh but it could have been much different if that series had not gone the way yeah, they wanted totally so. so also somebody i guess they they sorry uh they'll probably need to make a decision on his yarosh as well yeah and lejoie uh I think Yaros they can still be patient with. I think he's um, more Lajoie, likely to jump than Lajoie is at this point. Yes, I think I think Lajoie, if he was right-handed, he would have a chance. I think because he's left-handed, you have Shabbat and Willanen should be a lock. And yeah. if he's not, I don't know why he wouldn't be, but yep. he, he should be. Um, and then you have like Boro or, um, man, I know I'm forgetting another guy. Zaitsev. No, Zaitsev's right-handed though. I'm thinking of left-handed guys. Oh, uh, Hainsey. Um, but Hainsey could come back, but he plays on the right side him. as a left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, the Suns are going to give him a like one-year, ten million. Uh, Mike Riley, by the way. Ah, uh, yeah, yes, he's here Mike till uh, next season. And apparently, Fancy Stats really likes Mike. Him. Um. Okay. He's had some really bad games. I've watched. Uh, one of his games, he looked. Uh, as bad as Cody CC, but then there's other times where his offensive awareness shows, and it's it's good. Like he seems like a, a serviceable player. Um, I think it just fluctuates, and he's inconsistent. But when he's on point, he looks actually fairly decent. But he's still not a guy you're going to keep around long term. I think he'll probably be uh, politely shown the door at the end of this next season. Yeah, he's 26. So wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, like he's not too old, but I mean, who knows who the Suns are going to draft this year in the draft or who they may acquire in a trade, um, which we'll get into later. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Also, Matt, let um, the ship sail on Drysdale, okay? Just let it go. <laughs> I, hey, no, I was also thinking Jake Sanderson, you know? Who knows? Oh, God. He's a, he's one of the top left-hand. No, I don't think the Sens will take a, a defenseman in the top five. That was a fun question last week, guys. Come on, don't hurt me, though. <laughs> um, well, okay, we'll look at Josh Norris next because he's 21 years old. He's a center. I mean, the Sens love their center depth, but um, he had 61 points in his rookie season and only 56 games played in yep. the AHL. And uh, he looked quite good. Um, he only played three games in the NHL this season, as we all know, and he looked good. He didn't look out of place. He looked like he could handle the play. Um, and he, I've seen comparables of him to both Ricard Raquel or Sean Monaghan. So I thought, like, those aren't blow you out of the water type players, but I mean, they're respectable. Um, I know Sean Monaghan's like a respectable two way player, uh, and I think Norris is known for being a, a good two way player. Um, I don't think he'd have quite the same offensive capabilities as a Sean Monaghan, but Hey, if he could get close to that, then that'd be quite awesome to have as like a, a two, three center yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like he, I, I see Josh Norris coming in in like the middle six, I think is probably where we want him to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, and then one of my other, promising prospects that I thought should get a spot in the NHL next year is Eric Brandstrom. Um, he's left-handed D, but he says he likes playing on the right side. So, I mean, hey, whatever works. Um, he had 23 points in 27 games for Belleville in his sophomore season. I mean, he, I mean, I think he had a slow start when he first got to Belleville, but looked quite good after that. Uh, and then he only had four assists in 31 games in the NHL. Mm. But I think when he came back from the AHL, he had more to oh, jump so, in his he step. Was so and he was so much better. Like yeah. a better player. Yeah. And, and like when I was looking at comparables for him, there were a lot of people who thought he could be uh, a boomer bust, which I don't know if, if like that's the best way I describe him. I'd say he's more, I think a bust he's not a boom in, in terms of Brandstrom is a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's I think it's like if he, if he doesn't live up to expectations is probably the better way to put mm -hmm. it, because he's been likened to some high end, like, you know, it, it's skill group and, and yeah. lots of raw talent. Yeah. So but I did see like if he didn't meet his ceiling, I saw uh, a couple um, writers comparing him to Del Zotto, who was promising early on in his career and then fell <laughs> off um, or on the higher end, a more offensive but less defensive style Josh Morrissey, which I think would be actually quite nice to have. And I would love if he um, ended up a, a, like <laughs> even close to Josh Morrissey, I think would be great. Yeah, for the absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I think that'd be something that a lot of us can look forward to. I love his game. Like he thinks the game at just like a next level. His skating is elite. So it's just going to be the strength part. I think he's got to start uh, training yeah. with uh, resident refrigerator Marco Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> Marco the refrigerator Rossi, yeah. Did you see he posted a video on Twitter a little while ago, and it was him standing on one of those exercise balls, mm -hmm. and he was just, like, balancing? 
and man, the lag strength you need to do that. That guy is just a tank. Yeah, impressive stuff. So, um, if you want to circle back to the original question, which was like, who do you see as the most promising uh, prospect in the Sens cupboard so far? Yeah, because now it it was like who's making the jump, but who is yeah. the, the <laughs> like most who who's guy? your guy? Because I have my guy, and I'm gonna talk talk All about right, him in a second. But like just to confirm, where do you guys stand? No, Bennett, you gotta right, go okay. off. So just hit you, us with it. You were the one that percolated. <laughs> now you're the one that's gotta go. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna say that I took a slightly different <laughs> tack to this question. Uh, less so, who do I think is the best prospect in the sense system right now? But who is the most important prospect in the sense system right now? And, oh, I like this. And to me, it's very okay, clearly okay. Eric Brandstrom. And that's for a couple of reasons. Like, Ooh, do I think that he's okay. like the standout guy who's going to make the most impact on the Sens team this coming season? Possibly not, although maybe. But I think mm -hmm. that he <laughs> is the the player right now that the organization has the most riding on. And that's because uh, right now, okay. like we've talked about this before, like after we after we traded Dylan DeMello this year, uh, the Sens defense without Thomas Shabbat on the ice, is not good. It is a dumpster fire. Like we, You bet. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> I, it is real rough watching this team play defense when Thomas Shabbat is not on the ice. And yeah. I think that it makes it all the more important that Eric Brandstrom pan out, pans out, because without him as like our solid like number two D option, you know, slotting in into that top four, I think that the entire viability of the Sens rebuild is in doubt because we don't have another blue chip defensive prospect right now, unless if we draft one this summer or if we acquire one through trade. And I think that if Brandstrom doesn't pan out and it's only Thomas Shabbat dragging five deadweight players behind him to make this team defensively viable, then that is not a recipe to success. I don't think, like, now, with all due respect to your opinion, um, I mean, Christian Molanen was really good yes. when he finally and, got to and the we, NHL. And we didn't get to see him this past season. So, like... Yeah, like, he got... Uh, yeah, important a, asterisks A handful there. of games. Yeah. Um, Zaitsev, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah. We got to see... Like, dead weight was maybe, like, a little harsh. But, like, I think that there's nothing stand out about our defensive core minus Thomas Shabbat right now and mm -hmm. if brandstrom doesn't step up within the next couple seasons and like claim a role within that top four then our defense is going to be ultimately very suspect moving forward in spite of all of the forward depths that we have and are expected to acquire this summer so i think that i don't know just considering like we have not only like thomas Shabbat is the future bar none no question Eric Branson should be the future, no question. He's a 20-year-old, which a lot of people forget. It's like he's been in the organization. Everybody's like, ah, he should have turned out by now. It's like, no, the guy's 20 years old. Yeah, it's, like, it's he not. He can't even drink in the States. It's definitely not like, do or die yet. Yeah. Then you have guys like Christian Yaros, who I think personally is a guy who can make the NHL and be a strong defender there. We've seen it before. Um, it just it it's gonna you're you're gonna have to see you know if it's gonna work out. And future wise, like we have Lassie Thompson, 
and we have Jacob Bernard Docker. Yeah. And those are two very important uh, guys as well, considering that like they are also first round picks. Uh, JBD was just an assistant captain on team Canada and Lassie Thompson just captained uh, Finland. And Lassie's coming over next year to, uh, to play in Belleville, which I'm very excited about. And we got our, our fave, uh, uh, news highlight for the last, like two, two months, Artem's up. So we'll see how right, our, right, our yeah. sort of, uh, decor goes forward. But I do agree. I think Branstrom is a very important cog in that machine. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I totally get why you'd pick Brandstrom. Now, I kind of have to take a different route because, I mean, as Matt just said, like there's there's a lot of other defensemen that we have that can kind of come in and are promising. I think we need to look at our right wing depth and tell me about these right wingers that the Senators had on their roster last season. Mikel Bodker, he's going to walk, and he was riding the pine most of the, the season. Connor Brown, okay, fine. Yeah. Respectable right wing, good two-way guy, no problem there. Abramov, who is going to be in Belleville again next season, or at least for most of it, I would assume. Jonathan Davidson, who we've talked about him. <laughs> Jordan Schwartz, which, again, an AHL player. And Max Verano. Those were our right wings that played in the NHL this mm-hmm. past season. And out of those guys... The and Bobby one. Ryan, yeah. Uh, well, yes, Bobby and, Ryan. That's that's uh, fair. Yeah. And Duclair. Uh, Duclair is a left wing, no? No, Duclair's a left wing. Batherson's a right I have wing, yeah. Duclair but that's what I'm going to... Or, I mean, both, but... They might have played him there, but he's naturally a left okay. wing. But, but so anyway, where I was going to lead to is, yes, Drake Batherson. I think right now he is the center's most important prospect if we're going to go at that angle of the question. Uh, because he can score, he can pass. Like he, he looked really good to end this season. Well, prematurely end the season, but he was looking really good. And I think that he is definitely a guy that the centers want to continue developing at the NHL level because I think he can do it. And I think he can get to a high point uh, plateau and he could be a potential number one right wing at minimum number two right wing. So uh, I think that right now, Drake Batherson, there's a lot riding on him panning out into a top point getter. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For me, I think uh, the most important prospect panning out is, is Logan Brown. We need we need a first line center, bar none. Like that's it. You have a hard time winning a Stanley Cup without a first line center. Yeah. Um, and I mean, who knows? Maybe we do draft one, or maybe even two in this next draft. But as of right now, in our system, we have one bona fide could be a first line center player, and that's that's uh, that's Brown. It's kind of hard to know where the organization sees him, like because I think last season they they gave him like twenty three games, and in some of them he shined. And I know we talked about this last week, yeah. but other times he he really didn't show those flashes. So I think honestly, I think the organization will be giving him a chance. I think he needs to take it. Yeah, uh, if he takes the chance and he does well with it, then boom, we may may 
potentially have our first line center, but it also depends where the centers land this draft. Because if they're drafting Byfield, well, I think that that's that's a, a another potential first line center that the Sens yeah. have, and I think that'll be definitely needed. I think if they can score one of the top centers in this draft, then that's going to be a big win for them. Because then I think that there will be less reliance on having Brown yeah. pan out. Also, I'm putting a nice asterisk beside Marcus Hogberg because I think he's just as yeah. freaking important. If he turns into a number one that's goalie, fair. oh baby, yeah, that's true. This is like what, like what do you need to? What do you need in a Stanley Cup winning team? You need solid goaltending. You need, you know, at least one or two like solid defensively responsible puck moving defensemen, and you need a number one C. And mm. the rest, you can kind of, you can have strength in some places and weaknesses in others, but you need that spine. You need, you know, solid goaltending, yeah. you know, capable puck-moving defensemen, yeah. and, of you know, a bona fide number one center. And until we, have, until we have those three things, the, the rebuild is going to be, like, you know, ongoing, basically. Yeah. Or on, yeah. in And, I mean, you can look at even Pittsburgh. Like when Pittsburgh beat us in the, the postseason that shall be forgotten, but uh, when, when they beat us um, and then they went to the Stanley Cup, I mean, look at their defensive core. The only player worth really noting is Latang. They, they didn't really need to have an all-star lineup on defense to win them that cup, but who did they have in net? Yeah. Murray, solid goaltending, and up front they had two stars in Crosby and Malkin. Everybody and else, uh, aside from, yes, but aside from, like, I, I would say, yeah, Phil Kessel is definitely a good player, but I would say that he's not, like, one of the players you'd put in that elite category, right? I think he's very good, but I don't think he's an elite player. So if you look at that Stanley Cup winning roster, you have Malkin, Crosby, Latang, and Matt Murray that really yeah, are the that ones was the core. who win yeah. that cup. Well, it's like, yes. it's like Chicago winning their third Stanley Cup. It was like you have you have Duncan Keith and, like, Trevor Vance Reams, like, dragging the rest of the defense along <laughs> like please we can do this just two more games <laughs> come on it's uh, i mean you need it and if we have if hogberg turns out if branstrom turns out and logan brown turns out we we've just solved the the enigma that is becoming a stanley cup contender team yeah and uh we can probably end this podcast right here right now series over <laughs> you know like <laughs> Honestly, do you know what I find is interesting too? I'd love to hear it. That Hogberg, Hogberg shorthanded had a nine twenty three save percentage this season. He's really good. Yeah. Shorthanded. Don't look at his other stats, but shorthanded, very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, no, I'm like, just he kidding. Had, I think what, that at times it's more of like a this year. Nine oh four on a the second worst team in the league. Wow. Yeah, I know. Not bad. That's you know. Darn decent of him. And he had like almost every game he played, and we all knew it was going to overtime or shootout. It felt like every game he played would go to OT. Yeah. Poor guy. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking on our season, Bennett, you wanted to talk about how we thought DJ Smith's rookie coaching season was. So you want to hit us off with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, now that the season is officially over, it's a good moment to reflect on our boy DJ Smith, or as my girlfriend calls him, oh yeah, that guy. 
because that's kind of been, you know, the the MO for our coaching staff uh, the last couple of seasons. So, oh yeah, him. Um, but I think I think that I'm in pretty much the uh, the majority opinion in saying that I was uh, I was happy with DJ Smith's first season as coach. Uh, I think that if we just want to look at the stats here, so last season the Sens finished 31st in the league and they had a 29, 47, and 6 record. So they had 64 points in 82 games. This season, now that it's officially over, we had 25, 34, and 12. So we finished 30th in the league, so one spot above, but that doesn't really make a big difference. Uh, but we had 62 points in 71 games. So which is to say that we almost did as one as oh, sorry, we almost had as many points as we did last year in 11 fewer games, which is and also without yes. Stone Duchesne. Yeah. Like and where I was going with that is it's like this year's Senators team is objectively way worse than last year's was. And for the yeah. last 10 games yeah. or so after the trade deadline was just you know, just a blank page. Like, I, I mean, I'm I'm being like a little like harsh. Like, there are good players on this roster, whether they're the future of this franchise or not. Uh, like, some of them are just kind of bit players for where we are in this moment. And some of these guys were gonna are gonna be sense players for a long time. But like, they they are not Mark Stone, and they are not Matt Duchesne. They're not even really Ryan Dezingle. Yeah. And the fact that uh, <laughs> we d- seemed competitive on the ice every night. And I think DJ Smith, if I recall correctly, in stating his goals for the season, that was what he talked about. He was like, I want, he understood the situation, where this team is, where this team is going. And he said that he wanted to see players working hard and competing night in, night out, regardless of what the scoreline was. And I think if that was his goal, he achieved it. I think that we can say that now I didn't watch a ton of Senators games last season because I was in a very better place. But I watched a lot more of them this season, and the Sens looked, they looked like more cohesive. They looked like they were trying, giving their 100% every yeah. game. And I don't think I can really fault them for what the, uh, their position in the league, because that's exactly what they looked like a team. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah I, I would say I, I'm satisfied with DJ Smith's first season. I think, he's, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good mentor to young players. And I think that. As expectations get higher, as this rebuild moves forward, we're going to see if he can meet them. But as they've been set so far, I think that he's met them, uh, met them pretty well. Yeah, and I mean, I'll kind of piggyback on there. I think, honestly, look at how many players he had to coach this past season. I looked it up. He had 43 different skaters and goalies that he had to coach Yikes. this past season. That's a lot of different personalities, play styles, everything that you have to intertwine and try to figure out. And I think that's a very uh, undervalued thing to look at it and coach. And I think he did well with what he was given. And I mean, let's compare that. So 43 players, I looked up Tampa Bay. They had, as a, a contending team, 31 players total wow. play last season. So, I mean, that's an additional 12 players that... If I mean, there's other teams I'm sure that have had that are in contending positions that have probably had more than that. But I was just taking an example from the Atlantic. And uh, anyway, yeah, I think that you have to give him kudos for being able to handle that many different players 
uh, on an NHL roster, especially when many of them were young uh, or like even rookies, right, uh, at the NHL level. Um, I also like that he wasn't afraid to bench players, uh, of like veteran players. Uh, we saw this with, obviously, Mikel Bodker. Um, he had to take the backseat sometimes, uh, quite a lot, actually, if, if I'm being honest. And um, even Bobby Ryan, I remember when he got benched this past season uh, before he took his yeah. leave. Um, he was benched, and, and it was like, you know, wake the guys up and show them, like, you have to mm-hmm. be ready to play. You can't just play based off of your name, what you've done in the past. Like, if you're not playing up to the standard I want, yeah. you're getting benched. Um, so I thought it was good that he did that. Although, again, at times, he didn't always play younger guys as much as he should have. Sometimes towards the end of games, he would be banking on the older guys to kind of help just get that victory, which I understand. You want to try and get some, you know, respectability. You don't want to bottom out every game by having the rookies make like a a bad turnover near the end of the game to cost you it, which happened anyway sometimes. But anyway, Um, but yeah, I think like players are playing a more complete game. Uh, The culture seems so much more positive. I know we were talking about last week when we were talking about captaincy, um, how we were talking about like Kachuk up on the bench, like, you know, fist pumping when Duclair got that empty netter to break his like 20 plus game point or goal streak. Um, Like the players seem to be having a better time actually going out there on the ice and playing. Um, And the penalty kill looked decent. I think the penalty kill was actually not bad. Uh, there were obviously times where <laughs> things break down, goals happen. You're never going to have a perfect penalty kill, but it didn't look too bad. Now, <laughs> on the other side of that, I think sometimes he just stuck with defensive pairings that didn't work in my mind. Um, I think that Zaitsev Shabbat pairing needs to not happen yeah. again. <laughs> like it's like you're, um, you're nerfing your best think... player that way. Yeah, and I I don't want to, like, crap all over Zaitsev because I don't think he's an awful player. He's definitely a serviceable player. But, uh, man, you just you want Shabbat to be able to have freedom to go and do his thing and have a more reliable guy being able to back him up. So I don't know what the Sens need to do in, in order to find that balance, but you almost need kind of like a Mathot-like yeah player on Shabbat's right That's side. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, we, have one, we, ha- we have one of those guys. Who? Who? Boro. No. <laughs> oh, no, but he's left-handed. <laughs> I'm just saying, need, only one no, of the guys right. had a better plus-minus than him last year. And it wasn't Thomas yeah, but, Shabbat. No, I know, but I think we need like a, a right-handed defenseman to play on Shabbat's right side. Like, True, but... Because... Boro is not a naturally right side playing player, and he's never expressed interest no, or. But they need to have preference. someone like that that's going to stay home, and we only have one of yeah, those guys yeah, right yeah. now. Also and we didn't on even brand, try that Alan suggests Boro. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, and the one last thing I'll say that was kind of like a con from this past season: the power play still looks like garbage. Yeah. And I know he's not the power play coach, but he does have input in the power play, and he needs to find some way to just get it at least to respectable numbers. It doesn't have to be amazing. Oh, you didn't but it like the just pass it around the outside edge for the full minute and then <laughs> that, take one shot, or maybe? or drop the puck to Shabbat in the in the uh, defensive zone. Shabbat skates up to the neutral zone, drops it back to a forward. 
I don't know how many times I counted that happening last season, but it was way too yeah. many, and it was so predictable. Well, our, our special, I, I would even say, our special I, teams have been bad for for years. Like I find, like, uh, like our power play was, uh, sorry, our penalty kill was better this year. But I can't remember the last time the Sens had a good power play, even when we had yeah. like Carlson and Stone and all of those guys. Like our power play was never very good. So I'm not sure what's going, that's, what's been going wrong. Uh, that's fair, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you still like it. Like I get where you're coming from, but I don't think that should be used as like an excuse. Like oh, like our team's always had. no, it's no, like, no. Well, like yeah, okay, but like it's a problem that like, should be solved, <laughs> and like it's not. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's not unique <laughs> to like the DJ Smith Ottawa Senators. Like for years, the organization has like systematically failed to like have a good special team strategy, in particular for the power play, and I think that. That's something just like, that needs to be addressed. If you had just finished that sentence with this organization has systematically failed, you could have left it there and it would have worked. <laughs> That's also entirely true. I'll put mine real quickly. Like I, I thought DJ Smith was really serviceable this year. Um, I love that he's a players coach and he's getting the best out of his players. Uh, you know, the best example of that is looking at Duclair, what he like, he's brought him to be like half decent defensively. And I think that's really important. Um, I think uh, he relied on Zaitsev a little more, Zaitsev and Hainsey a lot more than he probably should have. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I would have liked to have seen some of the younger players get better opportunities. But I do realize that he has a team to run, and he does want to win games like them. So that's kind of my yeah. quick, uh, quick and dirty. Yeah, and I mean, one more thing I want to say on Duclair is, I mean, even as a complete player, the thing that I really think is incredible is he hasn't lost his flash as an offensive player while still taking on defensive responsibility. Um, so I think that's actually quite nice to see because sometimes players will once they're trying to be coached into being more defensive, that offensive spark that they had will kind of diminish a bit, but his still was like very evident in his gameplay, even though he's more responsible defensively. So I just wanted mm -hmm. to throw that in there quick. But uh, anyway, so I think the one last thing we we're going to talk about was the senators taking on potentially some salary in a trade this summer or Whenever the, whenever I guess the hockey off season really begins, because I'm not sure when that'll like be. Like the, Chris, the Christmas anyway. off season. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the Suns will need to take on some salary, and they're going to need to either get that through free agency or through trade. And historically, um, we do so, not do that I mean, through free agency. Yeah. And historically, yeah. we've so, done it maybe once or twice through trade. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'll let uh, I'll let other Matt take this away because you wanted to talk on this. So I'll let you go. For yeah, it. absolutely. I think one of the the really cool things about sort of the salary cap era is weaponizing your ability um, to that with cap space. You have cap space, and you don't. Uh, so, like, guess what? Uh, Aha! Yeah. Uh, teams that need cap space, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, 
Vancouver, St. Louis. Uh, these are teams that you you call them and say, hey, how much does $6 million mean to you? You know, like, like <laughs> these, these are the important questions that Pierre Dorian should be like going, because we're losing Callahan's contract. We got, we got some stuff for that. Uh, we're losing uh, Bodker's contract. He's already signed with, uh, you know, SC Cladno or wherever. Um, uh, we, I think MacArthur's coming yeah, off the Yeah, MacArthur too. is too. Uh, who knows about that? And Craig Anderson, yeah, actually. And oh, who yeah. knows about that Dion Phaneuf contract? <laughs> we'll oh, have geez. it till the end of time. Uh, I'm just looking at Cap Friendly right now, and we have Dion Phaneuf until 2022-23. But That's hilarious. It, it's, it's, it's pretty it's cheap, much. though. It's yeah, pretty it's like, cheap. At that yeah. point, it'll be like 354k. Yeah, so... We got to thank uh, LA for buying him yeah, out there. And Marion Gabrick comes off next season. So Senators yes. legend Marion Cabrera. Yeah. Who so recently all, all this, who recently <laughs> hey, had he a had kid, a, so congratulations had, yeah. to them. Yes. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Congrats. Pretty cool. He also didn't he had he was okay when he first arrived. Didn't he have like seven points yeah, in like the almost twenty games? He was I would, okay. I he wasn't that okay but anyway, him, like, well, let's get back to game, well, obviously like that. Yeah. <laughs> but so so in this case, that's exactly it. Like we should be looking for guys that have high cap that can, you know, round out our cap situation, but can actually produce. Uh, Ryan Callahan was one of those. Uh, the guy isn't playing. He's getting paid. You know what really bugged me about this? Just quick side note. He's getting paid <laughs> five or $55.8 million. And then he goes and signs a broadcasting deal. I was like, no, null and void. Not happening. You don't get this money anymore. But like... <laughs> A guy like Louis Erickson, uh, Alex Steen, uh, Tyler Bozak, Tyler Johnson on uh, on the Lightning, like guys like that that have higher cap but can actually still produce with us, come in, maybe teach some of our young guys how to put the puck in the net. Uh, I I wouldn't complain about uh, any of those contracts if we're able to get one of a first round pick or a uh, good prospect back. Okay. I had a couple of guys listed too that actually you didn't name. All right. Um, with it. I had, I had, so when we were talking about Shabbat earlier, not having a partner, mm-hmm. uh, this is one of the players that I thought the senators could acquire. Now this team has been up against the cap or close to it. And they're one of those teams that, probably want to make a splash their management won't want to make a splash and they have been laughed at mocked i think you guys can see where i'm leading to but the edmonton (laughs) oilers they have mcdavid they have drysdale they have those two like malkin crosby you know that pairing that you can get a cup with the goaltending could still be worked on but it's okay defensively they have some work to be done but adam larson he has one year left right hand defenseman he's getting paid four point about 4.2 million next Mm. season he's 27 he's known to be more defensively responsible now he was injured uh a little bit last season he did play 49 games he only had six points again that goes back to him being more of like that kind of hold the defensive guy but they have evan bouchard coming up on the right side and so clearing uh, a guy like larson off their roster when Bouchard's coming up, who can definitely handle more responsibility, I think, next season. 
Um, I think that he is a, a guy who could be replaced so that Edmonton could put more money into finding a complimentary player uh, to make their roster more playoff contending ready. So I wouldn't hate that. That yeah, came to I'd my be, mind. I, I wouldn't mind that. I'd be okay with that. I'm looking, yeah. I'm trying to but look up his stats right now. I don't think, uh, like, uh, he had one goal and five assists in 49 I, games. I it wasn't be pretty. Uh, just I don't know his him. advanced stats. Sorry, re-signed. Larson. Well, I mean, yeah, but he's going to be playing next season and they're up against the cap. Yeah. Like his contract. Like, that's the problem. Like, I, I if I go to the... Like, I just the don't Edmonton see Oilers one of have the guys. half a million in cap space. Yeah. I just don't see him being one of those guys just because he is, like, he's a good defenseman. And I, I would imagine they're probably looking at other contracts that they could maybe get rid of, but they don't have well, many the of the thing them. is, like... <laughs> Like, I mean, maybe James Neal, but he's looked okay with the Oilers. Yeah, he's looked pretty good. And so. I think it's going to be hard to trade that almost six mil contract for four more years. Uh, well, it'll be three more, I guess, after this season. But still, I mean, they don't really have a lot of long-term contracts. Like, they're only ones they have tied up in are Connor McDavid, which not trading yeah. McJesus. Yep. You got Dreisaitl at eight Dude, and a half, which is a sweet contract. Like a deal. And that goes for like the next 20, X number of years. Man. Yeah. yeah, like that's, and then you have uh, Nugent Hopkins, who's got one more year at six mil. Um, so he's going to probably want more money the following season. The one that stands. Uh, I out mean, to a me lot of the Zach Cassian one until twenty twenty three, and I'm like, bro, are yeah, you me? <laughs> I mean, at least it's only three mil, but I still think that's an overpay for him. Yeah. Oh God! But I mean, defensively, like you look at their defensive core, Chris Russell is being paid four mil, but I he has a no trade clause. So I mean, he you can't. I don't know. They could trade him, but he might not want to. Definitely to Ottawa, he might might be like, no, I want to be on a team that could potentially make the playoffs and do something. Uh, they have Oscar Clefbaum, Darnell Nurse. You're not trading either of them. Um. Benning is an RFA this season, and Mike Green's a UFA, so they're probably both gone. Uh, but then, yeah, coming up, they have, like I was saying, uh, Evan Bouchard's down there. They also have uh, Philip Broberg, who right now isn't going to see the NHL, I don't think, quite so soon, but he's an up-and-coming left-handed uh, defenseman for them. So um, I think that they can spare giving away Adam Larson when you have uh, a couple solid defensive prospects up and coming. Um, so that was my thought on that. And then the one other guy I thought might be a decent uh, trade option would be um, from the Pittsburgh Penguins, a guy who they traded for who didn't entirely work out. And I'm not talking Galchenyuk because he's gone. <laughs> but <laughs> but Noah Dorian likes his sizable centers. Six foot six. Bustad. I like it. Yes. Uh, so he has one more year left at 4.1 mil. Um, he didn't do quite so well with the Pens last year. He played 32 games and only had 14 points. And then this past season, he only played 13 games with them and had two points. So he hasn't exactly been doing so well <laughs> after his trade from the Panthers. And he's a serviceable player, serviceable player who the Sens could throw on their roster and have a guy who's like a two-way forward who could help out and uh, brings relief to Pittsburgh. Ottawa gets a warm body plus, you know, prospect pick, whatever. 
Um, I think that could be a potential uh, nice little swap. So, yeah. I don't know. Those are the two guys I had. Either of those, I think, could work out fine on this roster. I wouldn't complain. Uh, just give me more prospects and picks. Uh, or, you know, a player that you're willing to pass on, and we, you know, enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll take I'll take McDavid. I'll take your, you know. Well, I think just putting it out there, one of the guys that I think of it. So apparently, they're shopping him is uh, uh, Dylan Strom of Chicago. Really? Apparently, it's just not a fit, hmm. and I'm like, please, uh, Dorian, uh, uh, I, I will. Odd. Didn't he enjoy you? I thought Dylan Strome was doing quite well with the Blackhawks. Yeah, I, I, because last season he had fifty-one points and fifty-eight games for them, and then this season he had thirty-eight and fifty-eight. Yeah. So a bit of a regression, but I mean, compared to what he was looking like in Arizona, I thought mm-hmm. that was quite good. Yeah, no, I that like I had read that, uh, you know, they were looking at moving on, or he was on their trading block, or something to that effect, and I was like, okay, well, I mean, do something about it. Well, I mean. Age-wise, positionally, being definitely a nice player to have come into to the organization, but I don't know how much you'd have to trade for a player like that. Yeah, it it all depends on value, really. But we we've got stuff that we can trade, uh, predominantly picks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. We do have quite a few picks, yeah. so I wouldn't complain if we you know utilize those and. And started going for it. So, hell yeah. Awesome. Well, on that note, we'll finish the podcast off there. Uh, As I said earlier, follow us on our social media accounts. uh, Follow us on Spotify or iTunes or Google Play, whichever you use. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep coming to you live every week. Well, not live. I lied. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm a big liar. <laughs> but we promise we don't have podcasts, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, I don't, but that's if you okay. have any questions um, you know. for the podcast or us specifically, uh shoot it our way. Yeah, hit us uh, up. we'd love to answer questions. Yeah. And cheers yes. to everybody that uh participated in our poll about who you see being the sense captain, uh based on yep. our segment last week. That was really cool. Yep. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. So uh yeah, um, Hopefully, we can get a guest or two lined up in the next few weeks. We're still waiting to um, confirm some details on that. And, uh, yeah, that'll be exciting. So, hopefully, uh, you'll tune in for that. Um, But, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good one.